Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. Some, some, sometimes I need to look at my life and see what I'm devoted to. You know, what, what, what gets my, my energy, my time, my talent, treasure, what gets it? And I ask myself, as I lost, have I lost my sense of priorities? What's on top of that system of values that needs to come down? And what's low that needs to rise to the surface? And the new year is obviously a, a great time to think about this. And so... I call this message, this new sermon series, I call it What Matters, What Does Matter, and What Should Matter to Us as We Invest Ourselves. And I want to do this biblically. I don't want to just say you should be devoted to stuff that I think is worthy of your devotion, because if I start doing that and it's, you know, my ideas, then find another church. But if God tells us in his word, this is where I want your heart to be, this is what you need to be devoted to, then I pray that we will align our lives with these biblical priorities. And when, you, and when you line up your priorities with God's will, as he reveals it in his word, you're never wrong. And so the first priority is our relationship with the Lord himself. Let us devote ourselves to a relationship with the Lord. That's priority one. And here's how we do that. Prayer, the word of God, and a God consciousness. Let me say that again. Here's how you build a relationship with the Lord. Prayer, the Word of God, and a God consciousness. That's the most important thing we can do. In each of these, prayer, the Word of God, and the God consciousness is a, is a, is a series of messages in itself. But, but we're going to look at all these briefly because they each enhance the relationship. And we are talking about today building a relationship with the Lord. When I talk about God, I don't mean some nebulous concept in the sky. I mean the triune God, three equal persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one equal triune God. And when you devote yourself to him, a relationship grows. And blessings come that you just can't put a material value on. I really thought about this. I thought about the blessings that come because of a relationship with the Lord. And I think about the fact that there's not a whole lot of job security, especially in Michigan. And so the economy has me concerned, not worried. And there's a difference, but concerned. I think about terrorism. And again, I don't worry about it. I'm concerned about it. I'm concerned about mass loss of life. I'm concerned about biological warfare or some scheme to weaken, scheme to weaken our nation or anything that might make you anxious. It could be health issues. It could be anything. And you want the blessing that a relationship with the Lord can bring. And I, I, I mean it. I'm serious. When a relationship with the Lord will bring this blessing. I look at the book of Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. And the, boy, this is a mouthful. The Apostle Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, don't be anxious about anything. Don't, and here, here comes the prayer thing, baby, I'll tell you. Don't be anxious about anything, but, but by prayer, but everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And here it comes, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds with Christ Jesus. That settled peace 
at the core of my being, a piece that lots of other people don't understand, is birthed by a relationship, a relationship of trust with the living God. And that's better than anything I can buy, folks. That's better than anything in the world I can buy. It's better than good health. Here's something else, too, because I, I want to get as close to, in one lifetime, as close as I can, to the selfless love of Jesus Christ. I want to be just like my Lord. And I thought about Mark 5. You know, I really sat there thinking about this stuff. I said, well, I mean, what are the blessings of a relationship? And I said, I want to be, I, I want to love like Jesus Christ. And I'll never meet that, that standard, but I can work in that direction. I thought about Mark 5, 21, when Jesus Christ had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. And seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Now here's the important part. So Jesus went with him. The synagogue ruler Jairus is not in the Jesus camp. He is in the camp of Pharisees and chief priests who are trying to put Jesus to death. But when he comes to Jesus with a heavy heart and a desperate need, he doesn't care who he is, Jesus says, he leads the whole crowd of people, and he says, let's go. And I thought to myself, that is right where I want to be. I want that blessing, man. And, and, and see, again, that is born from knowing God, a relationship with God the Father and His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I asked myself, what's more important to me? That relationship with the Lord that brings peace, that passes all understanding, that makes me want to be as much like Jesus Christ himself as I can in one lifetime. What's more important, working at that, devoting myself to that, or devoting myself to material prosperity or even good health? And there was no decision. The, the relationship with God was first. Listen, folks, listen. We all need to know this. Our relationship with the Lord is the most important relationship we have. It's more important relationship, more important than the relationship you have with your husband, your wife, with anybody. Your bosses, your employers, it's the most important relationship relationship we have, and like anything else, it takes work. Now here's some facts that lots of us know, but take them to heart again as you plan where to devote your energies in the next year. I keep coming back to Ephesians 4, Ephesians 1, 4. This is so glorious. I mean, it just, it just stretches my mind to the ultimate. It says, for he chose us in him, meaning in Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Right, let that sink in. The Father, he, the Father chose us before he ever created us. Before he created anything, we were in his mind, in his heart. And Ephesians 1, 4 says he chose us to be holy and blameless. Now, what does holy and blameless mean? Holy and blameless means he chose us to be acceptable, to enter heaven and be with him forever. That's what it means you got to be holy and blameless to get into heaven. And how did he make us holy and blameless? Well, I thought about my mom and my dad. They were wonderful people, but my dad was kind of a moody guy. And my mom, as godly as she was, used to say some words that I wouldn't repeat when she got upset with my dad, and she'd mumble them under her breath, and then thought I didn't hear her. See, what I'm saying is they were sinners. And God's word tells me I inherited that sin. And it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. And so what I'm trying to say is I am not holy and blameless. I am so far from holy and blameless you wouldn't believe. But see, God the Father knew the way to make me and you holy and blameless. And you know the way. And I hope this never gets old. He punished his own son for my sin. I don't know if that ever just moves you. I said, why, well, why should a loving father punish his own son for my sin? Why would God ever do that? 
He actually sent his son, part of himself, into this world to live as a man, to die bearing our sins, my sin. And his plan is this, trust in his death. Believe that we can't offer any good thing. And you, God, that you can't offer the Father any good thing for your salvation. And you will be holy and blameless. And you say, well, but I baked a lot of cookies for special people to let them know that somebody cares. That's great, but it won't earn you heaven. Or you say, I blow the snow off three other driveways besides my own at my own time and expense. You know what the Pope would say? He'd say, bless you, my child. But it doesn't merit heaven. When you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father gives us, and here's a, here's a doctrinal word, he imputes to us the very righteousness. And I, I never get tired of saying this. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the Father imputes to you. I mean, this, this is so glorious. The, the, the holiness, the blamelessness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's all that makes us holy, blameless, and thus acceptable to the Father. Don't just take my words for it. Look at God's words. Someday read Romans 4. It's all right there. So what I'm saying is God's given me my life. And that's why I want to build that relationship with him above all other relationships. And I do that through prayer, through the word, and through a consciousness of his presence at all times. And I never want to take him for granted. I never want to lose a passion a passion for the Lord. I never want that relationship to get stale. And that's why I call this message, Fan the Flame. There's a title to this message. And I look at the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 6. And here's where I get the title. Paul says to Timothy, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. There's a spark in you, Timothy. He says, fan that spark into a flame. That spark which is in you. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, listen to this, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of self-discipline. See, Timothy was a young guy, 30s, maybe early 40s, and the Apostle Paul had personally trained him to be the pastor of the church in the, in the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus was full of false prophets. And these false prophets were very eloquent, and they were very convincing. And they were telling people, listen to me, follow me, I have the truth. And Timothy was kind of a young guy. He didn't have that eloquence that some of these guys had, okay? And also, the temple of the Greek goddess Diana was in Ephesus, and people were devoted to Diana. And the God, listen, the point is, the gospel of Jesus Christ in that culture, in that city in particular, was a hard sell. And Timothy got scared. Then he got weary, and he wanted to back off. And he got sick a lot. As a matter of fact, Paul told him a lot of times, take a little wine for your sick stomach. He wanted to stay home in bed. He looked for excuses not to go to work. He lost the flame he once had. And so Paul says to him, now you can understand, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you. Now listen, he's saying this to you, but I need this, so do you. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. Man, that's for me, that's for us. Now here's six ifs. First one. If the fire you once had for the Lord Jesus Christ is going out. Or, secondly, if you have lost or have less, have less of a passion for the lost and just want to leave their salvation to somebody else. Or here's another one. If you just want to give up on the challenges in your life. Or if you're satisfied just to come to church on Sunday and think I've done my duty. Or if prayer is a chore and not an opportunity. Or if you're compromising more and more and not standing for what you know is the truth and you're giving into your flesh more and more and more and you get to the point where you hardly even care, then folks, you have lost the flame. You're losing it. 
But here's the deal. You can get it back. You can fan that spark till it's a fire again. You can face anything. You can deal with any situation. I mean, you can love the Lord with that fire and that passion again. You can quit compromising. You can care about your sin and stand against it. And the first way is prayer. You got to devote yourself to prayer. Prayer is the first thing. Here is a key passage in Scripture. And this is our key passage as regards to prayer. This is Matthew chapter 6. In verse 8, now get the logic here. Jesus Christ says, Matthew 6, 8, he says, don't be like them, meaning the pagans, meaning the unbelievers, don't be like them, for your father knows what you need even before you ask him. But then Jesus goes on to say in verse 9, this then is how you should pray. So he says, pray anyway. He goes on to say, pray like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and so on. So here's the question. If your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask, why pray? Jesus says your father knows what you need before you ask him, but then he says, pray anyway, pray like this. Why? Now, here's the big deal. Because prayer is not about getting. It's about knowing. That is the whole thing behind prayer. It's not, folks, hear me. It is not about getting. It's about knowing him. Man, we got to guard our motives. Always look into your heart. I never want to pray to get something from God. I never, I, I never try and change God's mind, and I never try and make God feel sorry for me. i got to say that again. You never want to try and change God's mind. You never want to try and make God feel sorry for you. Why would you want to change his mind? He has a perfect plan. His plan is perfect. Why would you want to change his mind? And his love is perfect. I mean, why, why would you want to get him to feel? He can't feel sorry for you. His love for you is total and perfect. As I look at prayer, I want to look at my Lord Jesus. And this is in Luke chapter 6, in verse 12. It says, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. And then you go back a page and look at Luke 4.42. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place, a solitary place to be alone with his father. And so in Luke 6, he spends all night in prayer, and in Luke 4, he's up early, and he goes to a solitary place. And I read this in a Bible commentary. It just, it just made so much sense to me by a, a great commentator and writer, a guy named John Phillips. He said that Jesus would go away to be alone with his father. And what did he do? He said he probably sang praises, talked with him. And maybe he said something like this, Father, look at the sea. Look at the Sea of Galilee. Father, look at the sea. And look at the mountains reflected in the water. How awesome you are. Ever say anything like that to God? Or, Father, I'm one day closer to the cross. And I know that's by mission. But sometimes it's really heavy on me. I bet he talked to the Father like that, see? Or maybe he said, Father, Peter was a pain today. Or probably not that, but Peter was difficult. <laughs> he talked to him like that. Did you ever just say to the guy, say to the father, you know, father, father, my kids are a pain today. I love them, but they're a pain. Or my boss is a pain. Or Greg, Greg's your husband, seems to go out of his way to irritate me. He's such a neat freak. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing too well with this, God, I'll tell you. Or father, I'm just so tired. And I need a rest, and I need a change. See, you're not asking for anything. What are you doing? You're, he's your father. Ever talk to him like that? You just talk to him. You're not trying to get anything from him. You're not trying to make him feel sorry for you, change his mind. He is just your father. See, it's about a relationship. Those are great prayers. 
The Father and Lord Jesus rejoice when you notice him, man, in your life. And you tell him that. See, it's not about getting, it's about relationship. He knows even before you ask. This happened a couple of weeks ago. I didn't know what to do first. And John Waltz called. And John lives in Phoenix, Arizona. And I was at 26 in Shainer at the time. By the way, John and his wife um, put off our Share Your Faith workshop here. I was at 26 in Shainer and John calls. And he says, what's going on? He says, you have been so on my mind and so heavy on my heart. He says, I can't let go of you. I've been praying for you. So I've been praying for you so much. And he got a pastoral staff there. He said, we've been praying for you. See, the Father raises up people to pray for you in your need. That, to me, is so precious, man, I'll tell you. He raises up people to pray for you, for you. Isn't that special? Doesn't that make you feel special? He knows what's going on in your life, and he raises up people to pray for you. So let's say somebody keeps running through your mind. You're being used of God. God wants to accomplish something in that person's life, and he has given you the privilege and the responsibility of praying for that person so that God can make it happen because God works through prayer, see? And the greatest prayer you can pray is these people continually come to your mind. The greatest prayer you can pray is, Father, accomplish it. Accomplish your purpose. I have no idea what that is, but make it happen. Hear my earnest plea for this person. In Jesus' name, amen. Then I ask God to direct me. I ask God to direct me all the time who to pray for. And sometimes it just, and he lets me know this. He lets me know in a lot of ways. But sometimes a name will come up in conversation and it'll just kind of, strike me. And I'll say, oh yeah. Listen, when you sense that somebody isn't in the Lord, and they think they are, but you sense they're not, that is from the Spirit of God. And man, you, you just go before the face of God, and you start praying for their salvation. Pray for light to shine in darkness. See, what you're doing then is you're being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And that's relationship. That is relationship. When you have a relationship, you have a sensible, a sensitive ear and a sensitive heart. And God will put it on your heart to pray for somebody. And he trusts you with that responsibility. And that is so great, a relationship with God through prayer. It takes time. It takes worse. But I'll tell you what. When you have that relationship, the fire begins to burn again. The passion, the zeal comes back. See, we're looking at what matters, what you will devote yourself to as you um, arrange your priorities. And number one is a relationship with God himself. And that, if that's not your top priority, man, I'll tell you what, you're going to miss life's best. And I don't mean stuff either. It happens through prayer. That relationship happens when you examine the Word of God. Let me just say a few things about the Word of God. You don't just read the Bible, you study it. You ask the Father to reveal Himself. That's first. When you look at this Word of God, and I try and do this all the time, I say, Father, don't just reveal your will to me, but reveal yourself to me. Because you want to know God. This is all about a relationship. One of my favorite passages is Psalm 103, and this is verse 7. It says, he made known his ways to Moses. Now get the difference. And his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. See, I can see God's deeds. All I have to do is look at nature. All I have to do is look at creation. I can see God working in people's lives. I can see God's deeds. But folks, I want to know God's ways. I want to know, I, I, I want to know how God thinks. I want to know God's heart. And I get to know God right here in the Word of God. See, I just thought about Job as an example. When Job lived, the thinking was this. If you're blessed and happy and wealthy and healthy, you're in God's favor. But if you're poor and sickly and have one problem after another, you're out of God's favor. And it's easy to think like that today. 
And then I read Job, which tells me that God is the most that, 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 that Job was the most God-fearing, righteous man alive at that time. That's Job 1:8, and look what happened to him. And what are prosperity teachers going to tell you? Prosperity teachers all over there, they're, they're going to tell you that God wants you to have all this good stuff. He wants you to have healing and wealth and all the rest. And see, you can point to Job and you can say, I know my God better than that. I know that's not, that, that, that's not my father's heart. That I always be healthy and wealthy. And happy. That, 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 that's not my father's heart. And that, and that means you, see, you're getting to know God through the word. And that means you can go through some issues and troubles in your life. And you can conclude that God doesn't love me less because I'm going through this stuff. Just by understanding Job. See, what happens is through the word of God, you're getting to know God. Some people believe, here's something else, that when you accept Jesus Christ, life becomes easier. Life becomes less challenging not as many issues. And some people really believe that. Then I look at Luke 14. And see, this, this word of God helps me know God. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me, now listen, and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And that gives you a whole new perspective on what it means to be a disciple or follower of Jesus. He doesn't mean hate literally. What he does mean is he wants to be first in your life. No idols. Let go of them. People are stuff. Easy, right? Then he says in Luke 14, 27, and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me, hear this, cannot be my disciple. And so you've just got a whole new perspective on discipleship. You've got to let go of your idols. You've got to learn to carry your cross. It's not all as we used to say, peaches and cream and stuff like that. And you just, I mean, you're just getting to know the mind and the heart of God as you, as you study his word. I mean, I'll look at Luke 6. Just, this is so good. I'll look at Luke 6. You got, I, I look at this and I say, how many people in today's world think like this? And you are a believer and you think like this. I pray you think like this. I'm looking at Luke 6. I'm looking at verse 20. Looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are, blessed are you who are what? Poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will you will laugh. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are those who rejected if God so wills. You know, I mean, blessed. I mean, how many people think like that? that? That's the kind of a word of God, folks, that empties churches. It doesn't fill them. Listen to the rest. Listen to verse 22. Blessed are you when men hate you. Blessed are you when men hate you and revile you and, re and, and insult you and, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Listen to this. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven and so on. And so you think differently. You think differently about what it means to be a Christian when you internalize these words of Jesus. You say Christianity has sacrifices, but, but what he gives me is the kingdom of God. He gives me, verse 21, true satisfaction. I'm blessed when I don't deny him. L listen, to, listen to verse 24. But woe to you who are rich. What, blessed are you if you're poor. But woe to you who are rich. You've already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. That's how the fathers treated the false prophets and so on and so on and so forth. Nobody likes to think like that. But see, when you think like that, you're coming to know God's heart, how he thinks. And that is born of a relationship. Just one more. 
And this is something nobody likes to hear. Most people love to think you can be good enough to earn heaven by your works because that makes a whole lot of sense. And then you read Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, where the Apostle Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, all those who rely on doing good works or observing the law are under a curse. It means you rely on it for salvation. For it is written, now listen to this, cursed is everyone, Galatians 3.10, who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And you read that and you say, oh, that's God's standard. If I'm going to be saved by, by doing good works, I have to obey every law there is. I have to do everything written in the book of the law. And then you kind of cry out and you say that's impossible and you're absolutely right, but guess what you've just discovered? You need someone to do that for you. You need Jesus Christ and that's the greatest discovery of your life. See, now you know you're helpless to earn your own salvation and you accept, thankfully, his death for you. And when you do that, man, you get it all. See, and you understand these things and you know God like few people alive. And it is so good. And your life changes so dramatically. I mean, I mean, is it worth your investment in prayer? Is it worth your investment in the Word of God? Is it worth that concentrated effort for, um, for that relationship? Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.